This is iFanboy Special Edition, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Fanboy Special Edition, Ant-Man and the Wasp. My name is Connie Kilpatrick, and I'm here, joined this week by our special guest, Ron Richards. Hey, Connor. It's good to be back. Ron's former iFanboy <laughs> co-host. He left us to go work at Marvel Entertainment. Disclaimer. Disclaimer. I do work for Marvel Entertainment. I work uh, at Marvel New Media. Any opinion I give on this podcast is my own and not representative of Marvel or the Walt Disney Company. And to anybody who will question it. I am so far removed from the movie production, it's not even funny. So it's not like I have any influence or impact on the on studios or anything like that. It might as well be a different company. Yeah, my, yeah, exactly. It's great, though. I love it. I'm very, I was very excited to see this movie because I am a big Paul Rudd fan, and I love the first movie, and I wanted to see where they took it. But Connor, well, let's do, before I ask you what you thought of the movie, do you, let's, let's do the little setup. Who directed yeah. it, blah, 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 all that stuff. So this is directed by Peyton Reed, who directed the first film, the first Ant-Man film. And it was written by five people, one of whom was Paul Rudd. Stars Paul Rudd as Scott Lang, Evangeline Lilly as, as Hope Van Dyne, the Wasp. And then you've got returning people like Michael Pena as his buddy Lewis, and Michael Douglas as Hank Pym. Also returning, much to my delight, Bobby Cannavale in the small role as the best stepdad ever. I'm so glad Bobby Cannavale, A, did not get forgotten, and B, it is in a much less adversarial role in this film. So. <laughs> so what I thought is that this was the perfect movie to come after Infinity War. Yeah. You had the heaviest um, films, the biggest stakes, you know, the long, epic, universe-shattering battle for almost three hours, and then, and then you followed it up with a short, tight, again, a little heist movie. That's part comedy, part action film that takes place very much on the ground where the stakes are relatively low. Although I guess if you're talking about micro versus, but still relatively low stakes, it's a great counterpoint and reminder of how much width and breadth there is in the Marvel Universe cinematic universe anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice little breath of fresh air after the heavy dose of Avengers Infinity War that happened, you know, kind of reminds you that that in in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, these kind of stories can happen while also big Thanos story is happening. And, you know, we'll get you'll get to it later on in the podcast, but the end credit sequence, of course, then answers everyone's question is where does this place in the timeline? Right. I believe the stock answer in the press junkets was concurrent with the Infinity War. But yeah, no, I love the I love the fact that the main movie didn't other than recounting the the events of Civil War, right, exists on its own. Yeah, and you know, at the end of Civil War, Scott Lang was in prison in was it the rafts or whatever it was. It was yeah, it was whatever. Yeah, in the water, the floating yeah, prison yeah. with the rest of the Cap buddies, and then suddenly he's out. So we we get that out of the way. He he was under house arrest for two years, and now he's days away from getting out from under house arrest. So he has that going on. He's also estranged from Hope and Hank who are on the run from the cops because it was their Ant-Man technology that was used in the Civil War. So he's all on his own. He is by himself. He gets to see his daughter on the weekends, but he's stuck in the house. He has a, him, him and his buddy Lewis and, his, and Dave and Kurt, the, the ex-cons, have started a business. 
was it XCon? XCon, yeah, X dash C O N, yeah. <laughs> they, they do security consulting, and he can't even go into the office for that. So he's really stuck with his aunt buddies in the house. But you got the sense that he wanted to focus on family. Like family is such a huge theme of this whole movie. Sure. But also, you know, because the the nature of his agreement or his settlement to the house arrest was that he can't have any contact with Hank Pym or Janet Van Dyne. So Hope, he's Hope. really he, Hope Van Dyne. Sorry, Janet Van Dyne's her mother, right? Sorry, Hope Van Dyne. So he's really got to close the door on the Ant Man part of his life and. What's funny is that we, you know, you, you, two years have passed, yet the movie opens and he's playing with his daughter in the confines of his house where they've created a ant-like, ant-sized right. maze out of cardboard. So clearly while he's, you know, accepted that he's got to do his time for his daughter to get his life back on track and he's shut the door on being Ant-Man, it's still there. For sure. Right? I mean, how can it not? You're a superhero. And then all of a yeah. sudden you're not and your daughter adores that you're a superhero. But in the meantime, while he's playing with his daughter, he's also having visions of someone down in the microverse. What was it called? Quantum Realm. The Quantum Realm, where he went in the first film. He went super tiny into the Quantum Realm, which is where also, in the past, Janet Van Dyne disappeared to. And so he's now finding that he is entangled with her brain, and that leads him to reconnect with Hope and Hank. And in addition to trying to figure out a way to, to rescue Janet in the Quantum Realm, they also are being stalked by a ghost character who is intangible as well as a bunch of low-life arms dealer types sonny birch who was a comic character played by walton goggins so they have multiple things going on while he's also evading the cops because he's not supposed to leave his house but he, he does on multiple occasions to have his adventures so there's a lot going on i thought it was a big improvement over the first film i liked the first film but didn't love it i thought it was good but ultimately kind of middle of the road but i thought this was an improvement over the first one did you give the spoiler warning? Spoiler warning. Spoiler, spoiler warning, warning, I guess. Yeah, sorry, yeah but, but yeah. yeah, no, I agree. I think I think what's great, I mean, the fact that they, you know, Peyton Reed directed the first one and directed this one, but you know, the, it, I, I'm not, I, I don't know if the writing staff was this, the writers were the same in the first movie, the second movie. I know Paul Rudd has a writing credit in both movies. Right. I don't know about the other guys, but it just feels like a consistent, like this is the ne- next chapter, and it built on what they set up in the first Ant Man. And they revisited stuff like when uh, Carlos Pena does his, you know, fast talking recap type thing. Like they revisited that, but not in a way that's like eye rolly or like, okay, we get the joke. I was concerned, not concerned, but I was like, okay, when's that going to happen again? I'm just looking at the writers and they are all different except for Paul Rudd. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You knew that was coming. You knew that the patented Lewis storytelling was coming. It came multiple times in the first film, but they only use it once here, and I thought they used it to great effect. Right, and they used it while he was under the influence of Truth Serum. Which was fun. That was a great sequence. Added to it as well, too, yeah. it was. Uh... You know, they settled in comfortably to these, this world, these characters. Ant-Man is a much lower-stakes hero. Paul Rudd's character, Scott, is kind of dumb, but mm-hmm. he's a hero. He's a good guy. He plays off well with Hope and Hank who are extremely smart and capable and, and Hope is in many ways a much better hero than he is. And we should also point out that this is Marvel's first film with a female lead in the title and in the story. Yep. And I thought she, and I, and, and eventually Lily's great. She's I mean, she was, she was great in the first one, but she's even better in this one. I mean, like it was, and, and what I liked about it was what, what I thought about the, the movie was that you had the through line, which is the a plot is, you know, that they're trying to get, 
Janet Van Dyne out of the quantum realm. Like that's the main one, right? But then you had several B, C, D plots happening. Which were all weaving together. Yeah, Yeah, really nicely. You know, like I thought, you know, so it wasn't too distracting and one didn't overwhelm the other or take away from the other. They all wove in and affected each other in a natural kind of way. It's funny because there's no real villain in this movie like no i thought I, that was a plus i mean the, the villain yeah. would be sunny birch the walton yeah. goggins character and ghost who you see a lot in the trailers who's the wearing all white and she she can phase and she's a you know a badass she's ostensibly a villain but what was great about the film was she, she was tragic she was just trying to, to save herself her molecules were coming apart and she was going to die so it wasn't like you know stop her from destroying the world it was she was just trying to get the technology for herself to save her own life. And once they realized that, they, they started to try to help her. And that's what I thought was really great about it. Was I thought it was a much more sophisticated story yeah. than the first one. In which, you know, yeah. the first one had really great... I thought Yellowjack was a terrific villain, but he was, you know, a mustache twirling standard villain. Where this was yeah, much more but layered. I really, but I really, I really liked him. I, I, re- I forget the actor's name. He was on Girls. I, I thought I, I really like Yellowjacket as a villain. No, I, for sure. I, like, we rewatched Ant Man a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, oh wow, he, he, he very mustache twirling. But I liked it because I thought it worked, and he was enough of a foil, you know, to give a sense of danger. But I think that. This movie benefited from not having that singular mustache twirling villain. Yeah, and the yeah. ones who were like that, which was again the arms dealers, were kind of not incompetent, but they were never really a threat. They were more comedic, meddlesome. Yes. You know, like yes. So, so the reference to the first Ant Man movie requires. So there was a moment in the first Ant Man movie when he is fighting Yellow Jacket. Do you remember? And also they're they're on the helicopter, and they yeah. both shrink down, and they're inside. Uh, Cross, his name was Darren Cross. No, was it Darren Cross? Or I don't know what the character's name was. Cross, you know, Yellow Jacket's briefcase. And Yellow Jacket yells at Ant-Man, I'm going to disintegrate you. And that triggers his cell phone, which is in the briefcase, and says, playing Disintegration <laughs> by The Cure. Yeah. And we had this beautiful moment of these two tiny bug-sized guys fighting in a briefcase to The Cure's Disintegration, which right. was just awesome, right? So, But that laid the groundwork for the fact that, like, okay, Peyton Reed and the other people working the movie are of a certain type of people musically, <laughs> right? This is partially why I wanted you to be on the show. Yeah, yeah, this is this is the this is the main reason why I'm bra- we're breaking the Ron can't talk about Marvel stuff because I <laughs> because there's a moment I tweeted about this. There's a moment in this movie where I completely screamed where I don't even know how it got in and got into the final movie, but during uh, Luis's uh, Carlos Pena's truth serum infected mo- uh, babbling, he he starts talking about his well because what happens is is that. He does this whole story about how he met Scott and Walton Goggins is like, you know, get to the point. And the other guys, the other ex-cons, T.I. and the other guy, the the guy doing the Russian accent, who's who's on Gotham, right? That guy was on Gotham. Well, he's terrific. Um, He was great. I want to get back to him in a second. But they say he's like a human jukebox. Once you put in the dime, you got to listen. You got to you got to listen to the whole song. And that triggers Luis to start talking about his grandmother's jukebox (laughs) that only plays Morrissey songs. (laughs) And and they do these quick cuts of the jukebox, and I looked. It was all correct Morrissey songs. <laughs> like it was all accurate. They played first of the gang to die during that moment, but then throughout the rest of the movie, every time Louise called Scott on his cell phone, the ringtone was "Every Day Is Like Sunday," which is like. <laughs> and now that why this is funny is because for those who don't know, two things. I'm a huge Morrissey fan, and a longtime My Fanboy listener knows this. But two is that Morrissey has an as a huge fan following. 
amongst the Latino community, specifically LA and Mexico yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So that whole bit is 100% rooted in reality. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and it was just like such a th- it was such an out of nowhere and specific and and like literally I was the only person in the theater laughing at it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there were there were there were one or two other people laughing, but it was oh it was amazing. So that so that, that now hands down when we do our ranking of the twenty of the twenty MCU movies, yes. Ant Man and the Wasp is my number one because of this joke. <laughs> that little team of ex cons they had less to do this time, but when they were on, I thought they hit harder with their jokes. Yeah. To me, one of the funniest jokes was, so when the ghost shows up, they're all freaked out. Yes. Kurt, who was the Russian one, had some sort of Russian fairy tale or, you know. Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. And when she shows up, he just starts singing the song to himself. I thought that was, to me, was the best joke in the whole movie. That was very good. So that, that Kurt is played by David Desmalchian. Right. And yeah, and he does this whole great where early on in the show they set it up. Yes. They set it up like like forty five minutes earlier when it happened because they they're talking about ghosts and she's someone who can walk through walls and he's like oh like Baba Yaga and he tells them the story of Baba Yaga and then at that moment and then when Ghost comes in and appears he starts singing the Baba Yaga song. <laughs> it was very good. It was very very good. It was it was great and as you said it, this was a fa- this was a you know a lot of family themes here and I thought the. The search for Janet was really, I thought it was really suspenseful and sad, even though you knew they were going to find her. It was still, you you could feel Hank's yearning for his wife and Hope's need for her mother. And when they finally found her, it was awesome. And and the, te- the tension in going into the quantum realm and the danger of yeah. that. And also, and also, I think they juxtaposed the dive into the quantum realm with the danger of the outside world, because basically this is all happening. Hank Pym's lab is able to shrink down to the size of like a toy set, yep. right? And and everybody wants the lab for different reasons. You know, Walton Goggin wants it for the technology inside to sell in arms dealers, and then Ghost wants it to get to because she believes it's gonna, with the help of Bill Foster, which we'll get to in a second, will help her. Um, you know, fix her her intangibility issue, and so the lab becomes like a hot potato. And meanwhile, Michael Douglas is in the quantum realm and he can't come back until the lab is full size. Like they just they added tension on top of tension on top of tension. I thought it was much more sophisticated storytelling wise this time yeah. than the last yeah. time. It was funny that Marvel really loves its de-aging technology, which I think which I have to yeah. admit is works pretty well. So in the flashbacks, we see young Michelle Pfeiffer and we see young uh, Lawrence Fishburne. We see young Michael Douglas. But I will yeah. say this. Michelle Pfeiffer doesn't really need all that much de-aging technology. Whatever genetic lottery she's won, she's won it pretty well. Right. She still looks terrific. Yeah. So when she comes back, you just like, wow, she really, if she had been 30 years younger, she would put, she would have been, I mean, I know she was Catwoman, but she would have been a great superhero in this, in this new yeah. age of superheroes. But we have Bill Foster played by Lawrence Fishburne, who turns out to be a really important character to the story. I thought he was just going to be like a quick cameo type throwaway, you know, joke from the trailer. But when he pops up in the middle as someone who's not a bad guy, but not necessarily on the side of the heroes of the audience. I was with gasps. Yeah. I thought it was a great reveal where he is actually trying to help ghost survive. It was a good twist and not in a way of, Oh, he's the villain. Yeah. It's just, Oh, he's trying to help her. And they're now they're at odds. But I really found myself wanting to know more about Bill Foster and Lawrence right. Fishburne's character because he seemed way more admirable, not way more admirable than anybody else, but like he was trying to do the right thing by a ghost, right? Yep. Because she, she, you know, she had, um, you know, you find out that her, you know, she was the, her father was experimenting on something and she was the byproduct of it. And then shield, shield worked with her and turned her into a weapon and all this sort of stuff. And you, you really build up this 
this, you know, she's had a rough go of it and he's just trying to make it right. I thought he was great. I thought, and it's funny because they're also like what makes a great Marvel movie. And I, I know I'm biased because I worked there, but I, I said this before I worked there is that there are little bits of stuff to tie us fans into it. Mm-hmm. You know, so we meet Bill Foster. We find out that he worked with Hank Pym in the past on the Goliath project. Right. right? And, and the comic fans are like, oh, Goliath, you know, or, or the fact that the FBI agent who's watching over Scott is Jimmy Woo. Right. Right. Who is who's used in Shield and in Agents of Atlas and that sort of stuff. So like there are these these loose threads back to the to the comics that we love, but in this world of of the MCU, it just it were it, it it hit it on the right notes. Where like anybody could watch that movie and not care who Jimmy Woo is, but as a comic fan, you know who that guy is, and that's awesome. Randall Park, who played Jimmy Woo, I thought was great. I loved his relationship was great. with Scott Lang up until the very end when they finally release him from house arrest, and they have that great exchange. Yes. <laughs> See you later. Oh, are we are we hanging out? Or <laughs> you asked me to dinner? Or? <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to yeah. go to dinner? Like it was, a, it was a great weird keeper and prisoner relationship. And uh, I hope we see him again if we get more Ant Man, which looks like the, based on this weekend's numbers, we probably will. There was just a lot of great characters. I, you know, it was a really pretty diverse cast, which was nice to see. Yep. A lot of different kind of uh, actors getting a lot of different kind of roles. Great use of San Francisco, especially in the car chase, which I thought was a great sequence. I will say, as somebody who lived in San Francisco, they they really shot there because there's one there was one point where I loved what they did with the cars and the yes. you know, big, small, big, small, and doing all that sort of stuff. Like that was great. But the car chase through San Francisco was fantastic. But there's one point where a car flips over or whatever lands right in the middle of the intersection. No, actually, I think it might be the truck that um, when Scott is big that he's using as a scooter. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but that was right in front of a bar called the Summer Place. Which used to have pinball machines, and I've hung out there. Like, like I was like, I know exactly where that is. Like, that's really like, like I love it when they really shoot in a location. Like, it's, yeah. it's the combination of really shooting in a location and doing physical, you know, like not CG effects. You know, which, which of course, this is full of CG and all stuff like that. But having the tangibility of the cars and the things breaking around it, it, it felt practical. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. CG, but felt practical. If that makes and sense. also utilizing the terrain so san francisco is very hilly especially in that part of town and using that to their advantage in the car chase so that the the size changing of the cars really affected how the cars drove on the hills and that what's the super windy road that's in every movie lombard lombard street so that was a great use of lombard street where the when they went tiny they could navigate at high speeds where the big cars couldn't and it was very smartly done in that sense and i just think eventually lily I'm surprised it's taken her this long to get like a really meaty movie role because she's terrific on screen. Yeah. She and Paul Rudd together are really great. It was just really fun. I think that's what the takeaway was. Was it wasn't like laugh out loud funny all the time. It was it was funny all the way through, but it was also really fun just to hang out with these characters. Yeah. And there were a lot. I mean, I mean, there, I, yeah, I, for I, sure. There's a handful of laugh out loud moments, but there was also a for me at least, there was a steady stream of just sitting with a smile on my yes. face. Yes, I think that was more yeah. it. And it sort of built. I remember in the beginning thinking, oh, all of these jokes aren't really landing. But it, it sort of got into the groove pretty quickly. And you're right, I think it was more like watching with a smile on your face than really like, you know, Deadpool laughing out loud kind of situation. It's not that right, kind of yeah. comedy. Yeah, so much, so many laughs that you miss jokes and things like that. I'm trying like, to think of anything that I would change. and I can't really come up with anything. Wow. It does its job very well. Yeah. The characters are all fun. The, the stuff with the daughter is great. She was great. Just enough Judy Greer and Bobby Cannavale. I just, I just I can't think of anything that I would change from it. I think it did a really good job. It was really focused. It was very focused, and it was very much 
again, like like I said earlier, it was it was the next movie. It's the yeah. second movie in Ant, you know. And so I, I like that it stayed focused on that and didn't get too distracted by what you could do in this world, you know. So now the real question is: so the the mid credit sequence, yeah. So the movie ends. They rescue Janet. She comes back. She's got some quantum verse powers that they haven't explored yet. I guess between the end of the movie and the mid credit sequence, she's helped them miniaturize, which is, I guess, pretty obvious, miniaturize their gate that they use to get to the quantum verse. It's no longer in the building. It's now fits in the back of a van. The tunnel. They're going to send Scott down there to capture some more energy they're going to use to help Ghost with her medical problems. And they send Scott down. He captures the energy. They're doing the countdown to bring him back up. And suddenly it stops on three. We cut back to outside where we see everyone is floating dust just because now now Thanos has you know instituted his purge and now Scott is stuck in the quantum verse no one to bring him back I mean I figured that was coming and I figured it would be sad which it was but it's interesting they're sort of taking Scott off the board for (laughs) Infinity War yeah um well yeah this is where (laughs) 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 I would just say you know it's gonna be very exciting to see Captain Marvel come out, and then yeah. it'll be very exciting to see what's next with the Avengers, and then right. I'll, we'll just leave it at that. But, I'm just um, saying it was, it was an interesting choice to sort of strand him, make this you know in a place that's already dangerous enough. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I, and I'll, and I mean, I know I'm I'm you know teasing by not saying anything. I don't know. I don't. I honestly do not know what's going to happen. I don't know what they're doing with it. I don't know, but. I do know that these sequences are, as we've seen for 20 movies, are there for a reason, sure. right? And so, sure. so I gotta imagine that there's gonna be an element revisited somewhere, whether it's in Captain Marvel or in the next Avengers. Like I don't, you know, like I, I can't imagine they're just gonna strand Scott in the quantum realm. Like I, I, I gotta imagine that something will come of that. I was surprised. I thought maybe we were in for like a switcheroo where Hope and Hank would disappear in front of Janet. You know what I mean? Like, she, they just finally got reunited and brought her back, and then they go away. But to send them all three away was an interesting choice. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, especially after establishing Hope as Wasp and, like, getting all excitement around that, and now she's gone similar to similar to Black Panther. You know, right. like, you know, you know, I still can't believe Black Panther's gone or Spider-Man or whatever. But we all know it's comics, and right. we'll see what happens with it. And so, yeah. What I liked about the end credit sequence is, though, you have the mid-credit sequence, which, is, which was the meat that everyone wanted – and then if you stay to the end credit sequence, there's a little stinger punchline where the uh, while in the movie, while Scott is, you know, out adventuring to, to protect him from breaking house arrest, they put an ant in his place to wear the bracelet and go yeah. through his daily routine. <laughs> and one of the, the things he would do is play his little, you know, electronic drum set. And so the end credit sequence is that ant playing the drums. But what I thought was interesting was that we cut to Scott's house and the TV is showing a test pattern. Yeah. And then it pans and shows the ant playing the drums, but you get the sense of post-apocalypse, something has happened, enough, like enough people got dusted to have the TV go off the air. Yeah, no, it, it was funny, but I didn't find it that funny because you're right, in the background, you just sort of heard silence, and the, you heard the test pattern noise, and, and so that way it was more ominous than funny. Yeah. It was a great juxtaposition of this ridiculous image of a giant ant playing drums versus... Clearly, something horrible has gone wrong outside of that, yeah. which we know because we've seen Avengers. But I can't think of anything I would change about it. So yeah. they balanced all the characters pretty well. They introduced new characters who were fun. I like Ghost is interesting. I hope we see her again. Yeah. So let's, um, I guess let's do ratings out of five. Ratings. 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 Connor, what's your rating? Uh, I'm going to give it a four. 
Yeah. Four out of five. Um, I think I got to give it a four point five, and 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 the the point five is for the Morrissey joke. I'm sorry, you do you do you do an explicit Morrissey joke in the middle of your movie, and I am your biggest fan. Did you ever think you'd live to see a time when a major superhero movie would rely so heavily on no. Morrissey? No, I honestly I'm shocked. Do you think he ever thought he'd live to see that? I'm shocked. I know he, he. I can tell you who doesn't care. He doesn't care. I'm shocked that it got through. I'm just shocked that it's. I'm shocked that they had the idea to put it in. That it got through. That it stayed in. And that it like it just can't. And then it continued to be a a recurring gag, whether you yeah. realized it or not. Like yeah. I'm, I'm still, I'm still blown away. So they get all all the respect in the world. Paul Rudd and Peyton Reed and the rest of the team. I give you guys uh, credit. So there you go. <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp in theaters now. If you go to fanboy.com, you can go find the post for this show. Tell us what you thought of it. And I guess we'll be looking forward to more Ant-Man in the future as the end credits asked the question, will they be back? Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Stay tuned. So so this is the end. I say with a large sigh of relief, this is the <laughs> end of Marvel's 2018 movie slate. And then the next movie will be Captain Marvel in March next year. And then followed by Avengers. Is it, does it have a title yet? That's no title yet. Okay. This is no title. The untitled Avengers movie. Avengers, they're all dead. Comes out in May. And then where we go from there, we'll see. Although Spider-Man, we have a we have a title. There's a title for the Spider-Man movie. That's right. Tom Holland leaked it. It was uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Well, yeah, he's dead. Yeah, he's dead. So it's just that's be pretty a very far. Solid movie. So, so in terms of upcoming iFanboy special editions, this is the last major one for a while. We have a couple of animated films coming up. Death Superman is in August. And then I'm trying to find where my... Here's my little calendar. I'm going to go out on a limb and say we're not going to review Venom. Why? I don't think anyone wants to see it in iFanboy HQ. I think it's going to surprise you, my friend. Venom is the next one in October. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I think... Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't think anyone wants to go. Wow. But are you going to do Aquaman? Yes, obviously. All right. All right. Fair enough. I'll discuss with Josh, but I don't think anyone wants to see Venom. But that's that's TBD. I got to tell you, I watching that trailer, I I I, it, I bounced between, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, like that that is a pinball pinball game of a trailer. That's for sure. That's um, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Tom Hardy. Though. Until the next show. Thanks for joining me, Ron. I'm Connor. I'm Ron. Mm-hmm.